Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter, at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today, Sebastian Besson. Morning, Seb. Afternoon, I think it is now, in fact. Um, how are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. What about you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to this and seeing which direction it goes in with it, to be honest. But um, before we get into the thick of the conversation, maybe just a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Who am I? Who am I? My name is, as you said, as you mentioned, Sebastian Bassong. I am 37 years old, ex-professional football player, just... I would say freshly retired a couple of years ago, and I'm now the uh, keynote speaker and coach in personal and professional development. That's who I am. Father of Amazing. three, father of three, husband, you know, all them, all them things. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, uh, you know, obviously, there's so many different directions you can go into uh, with with your journey as well. And I want to kind of get onto the, you know, what you're working on today at the moment. I mean, in terms of being a keynote speaker and doing a lot of stuff around that. I want to take you right back to the start of your journey, you know, and how we got from, you know, the inception of your journey and your career to where you are now. So just take me through that. In a way, you know, obviously you mentioned they were ex-professional footballer, um, played for many teams, top teams, especially in the Premier League as well. Where did that journey begin? When did you first come into contact with the ball? And I think I've read stuff in the past where you said that, obviously, growing up in Paris, a large part of the upbringing is, well, we just play football in the streets and it's, on your way to school, everyone's got a ball, and it's just it's just part of your life. So, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, obviously, as you mentioned, growing up in Paris, you know, football is is a no-brainer. If you wanna if you wanna hang out, you gotta play football. And my dad was a teacher, so it was difficult for me to to hang out in the neighborhood for obvious reason because the neighborhood wasn't the safest. So my only outcome would be to play football. So that's how I started to play football and, you know, down in the street. And I turned out to be a, little, uh, a bit gifted about that, as I, I suppose. Yeah, I was not too bad. Therefore, I got scouted. Then I went to Clairefontaine, the famous academy of Clairefontaine, where I've learned 
the, the IQ, my my football IQ. You know, they've developed my brain to understand football, the art of football. And that's how bit by bit I got a little bit more serious into into football. To be fair, I mm. didn't want to be a professional football player at the start. Honestly, I no, it wasn't my goal. It wasn't my target. But, and I think that's what helped me to play with no pressure, with no pressure. Mm. Because for me, it was just a way to be out out of my house, to be out with my friends. So then Clairefontaine came and so on and so on. And I started to realize, okay, there might be something good that I can do with that. But it wasn't my parents. My parents didn't see that the same way. It was coming from Cameroon. Right. You know, for them, it was school only. Football yeah, wasn't yeah. A, You couldn't, you know, you couldn't make a career and be safe being an, an athlete. Uh, I proved them wrong. I proved them wrong. And that's how I've, I became... You know, I've been I've been through all the stages, all the setbacks, all the milestones. You know, through resilience and all the yeah. So and I, I turned out to be a football player. Then I, I went to England, and this is when my, my career internationally started. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you mentioned about Claire Fontaine um, being invited in there. Obviously, in, in England we have um, we used to have. The football school that was, you know, was in Lillishaw. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm sure if you've any met any players that have kind of come up through that, and they talk all about similar to what you said, you know, educate you on the game, develop your football IQ, and and you know, really, in in many respects, you get a real grounding of what it, what it's like to be a professional footballer. But one, how, you know, what was that like for you? How old were you when you started to realize actually there there might be something here? Um, and how old were you and what was the process like for you when you decided actually there's not only have I got something here in terms of being gifted and talented, but actually there's a genuine pathway here. And what was that transition period like in terms of getting your parents to buy into that? I, when I joined Clairefontaine, I was 12, turning 13. So it was quite, I was quite young. It was quite early, but that was the, for me, looking back, that was the best time to develop my brain. Like Clairefontaine, you don't work physically, you don't do them things. You're just developing your brain to the, your brain and you're becoming a man because they're they're just they're teaching you, they give you an education as well. So that's when I started to realize, okay, football is not only a game, but there's there's a competition. The, the competitiveness is high. Because when I joined Clairefontaine, I thought I was good. But <laughs> it turned out I, I bumped onto some way much better player than I was so that and that gave that gives you some sort of a reality check but my parents I think that's when my parents realized okay Seb Seb is good at something but they they were still adamant about no he needs to get an education so that was the deal that we made I go there but I got to maintain my grades which I didn't which I didn't. So that pissed my dad off a little bit, a lot. So that was for me the transition then when I went to Mets, when I left Clairefontaine, I went to my academy, FC Mets in northeast of France. I was kind of a, I wasn't really, I was interested, but I wasn't full on. I wasn't 100% into it because I was still laid back. Mm. I was, I was, my, my, my default mode was was bigger than what I was trying to achieve. Then bit by bit, I grew up and then I realized now, Seb, you can really make a, 
something out of it when I went back to Cameroon. When I went back home right. in Cameroon, that was my wake-up call. When my what, grand- what was it specifically? Yeah, because my grand my granddad was used to used to call Sebastian, rest in peace. And he never spoke to me about football. He never spoke to me about anything. He was very quiet. But when I went back to Cameroon after a couple of years, you know, I was growing up, I was feeling myself, you know, you're Parisian, you're walking some, you know, you're feeling some type of way. And I had a culture shock because when I saw where I was from, where my parents grew up, the neighborhood, my granddad took me around to show me what was like to be there and where I was coming from. And he told me one thing. He said, listen, you can be the first one in the whole family history to make something. So make something out of your talent. You got a chance. You should. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. And I don't know. That gave me goosebumps because he showed, he showed me people around, you know, the neighborhood, the real neighborhood in, in Douala. And then when I came back, I was like, nah, I said, listen. This, you got to make something happen. And that was, that's what triggered me. Then when I came back to France, I came back to the, my academy, I was in beast mode. Life for real. And that beast mode never left me ever since. So that, that's, that's, what, that, that's what made me change. That's what mm-hmm. it triggered my brain. And I was like, no, 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 no. no the, it's bigger than me. Before, yeah. I was thinking about myself a little bit, you know, my siblings. But then... It became bigger than me. And when it became bigger than me, that's when you can achieve, you know, wonders. And that's what happened. Mm. There's two there's two ways, and you know, two things I really want to kind of tap into there. And, you know, first of all, you're talking there about, you know, really finding your why and, why, you know, your passion. And, and obviously you were fortunate enough in many respects to have that conversation with your grandfather, go to Cameroon at that time. But, just, you know, people listening to this now thinking, well, you had that opportunity to have that conversation and that had an influence on you, you know, so you're okay, but actually, I can't have those conversations with my grandfather, right? You know, I don't have that opportunity. What would your advice be to those people around how to how to really dig deep and find that passion? And it kind of leads me onto another part that I've been having a conversation with recently around um, leisure individuals and performance individuals, right? And you can have either or in any any walk of life. So as an example, in your in your case, professional footballer. You can clarify. You can correct me if I'm if I'm if I'm misunderstood in this, but it seemed like to begin with, you're you're much more a leisure individual. You were there, you're participating, you maybe just doing the bare minimum. But then that interaction with your grandfather allowed you to come back and be, like you said, put you in beast mode. And really now you become a performance individual where you've kind of now taken those those standards, if you like, and apply them to everything that you do. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's okay. I get where you're coming from, and. Uh... To answer first and foremost, hold on a minute, one sec. Okay, to answer the first part of your question, I would say that my trigger is personal. I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that people copycat my my process. My process is my process. What triggered me is not what's going to trigger you. So it's everything is personal. You can easily, you, you don't have to, you don't need a conversation with your grandfather to trigger you. You need to find your purpose. You need to find your why. Your why can be anything. My why at that time was, yeah, my family in Cameroon, the surrounding, the community. But my, my why has evolved ever since. 
So your why never going to be the same. So at that age, yes, I needed that. But one, now that you guys are listening, for those of you who are listening, uh, don't get it twisted. You got to look for your why. You got to look for the reason which is bigger than yourself. It's going to not give you any choice to get up in the morning and do what you got to do. The problem is people give themselves too many options, too many choices, because it's only for them. We give ourselves passes easily. Oh, you know, a pass is only for me. But when you have somebody else's life in, to take in consideration, you're not, I mean, you're not, you're going you're gonna to do what you, what's necessary. You're going to do what needs to be done. So the conversation that I had with my grand that was one thing. It could, and I had other triggers, but that one was the biggest one, was the most impactful one. I had triggers with my, the elders in my neighborhood when they, they just, they, they saw something in me and I was going through, you know, a time when I was doing a lot of bad things, but they, they literally beat the hell out of me every single time they were seeing me out there until I went back to my academy because at some point I, I didn't want to go back because I was getting caught up into the, you know, the street mode and blah, blah, blah. So they helped me. That was a trigger. They said to me, listen, we're not going to let you waste your chance. We raised you, but we didn't raise you to fail. So what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is you got to look for that trigger. And the trigger is around you. And if you look for something bigger than yourself, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. And for the second part of your question, I think it goes with it goes with age. When you, you I don't know any a lot of let's say put it this way I don't know a lot of kids that around 12, 30, between 12 to 15 that are actually in beast mode because you're still young you still you know you're having other interests you don't you're still figuring things out and that's why I don't want to put pressure I don't want to put pressure on on those kids oh you know what I got to be professional now you got to be you you got to be a kid, you got to grow up. And I think when you do put things together and you are, yeah, you got a good, you got a good surrounding, somebody surrounding that doesn't put pressure over you, like doesn't expect you to be the next professional or to be, to act like if you're an adult. No, there's a time for everything. So yes, it was leisure because it was my talent more than my effort or than my work ethic. Then the more I was growing up, it started kind of a switch round and my work ethic took over my talent. And I, yes, at some point when you get it to an adult age, you, you should have a, a big work ethic. So that becomes more professional and that become, you, you realize you're figuring things out. You're thinking, okay, cool. I know that now this is serious, but you need that time, that leisure time. Otherwise life is not, it's not supposed to be, hell because when you take things seriously it's difficult it's not easy it's not pleasant every single day but because you work your brain you develop your brain to a certain level now you can you can take it you can cope with that but a kid when you're 12 13 i wouldn't even i don't put pressure like that on my kids even though i would love them to have a high work ethic but i know it's a process so that process has to take place and it takes time But I think also recognizing that, you know, it's, it's very individual, right? You know, you talked about even finding your purpose, finding your why. Um, 
this is also individual like, in terms of what, what what does good work ethic actually look like because there's effort and then there's what the perception is on on what that looks like to everyone else right so i think there's there's that piece around how individual that looks because you might be working smart but efficiently and you might not necessarily put in long hard hours in because you know exactly what it takes to actually get to that next point without wasting time if that makes sense so i think there's that that piece yeah yeah work work ethic as you said is individual for me working hard is one thing but working smart is even better so work ethic i, I would always not even advise, when i coach i always advise people and coach people on to stop looking about what your neighbor is doing your brother is doing because mm. what's happening to him regard it's for him Dude, yeah you are unique so you got to find your own formula the problem is people always look left right and center oh what is he or what is she doing how is he applied to him that's his life mm-hmm. and you you you're totally different and until you understand that you're a special person yourself you got to find your own formula you're always going to be looking oh yeah but look at him look at her you, you shouldn't even compare yourself because you're not born the same you have yeah. your own gift you have your own you know you're going to find your own formula as i said and yes when you do that you're going to find your own level of work ethic. So maybe you're going to work harder than me to get to something because that's you. Because that's you. But on the other subject, maybe it's going to be different. So yeah. find your own self and look within yourself because for me, you have everything you need within. It shouldn't come from the outside in. It should come from the inside out. And the mm. problem a lot of people, they, they're expecting from things from the outside to come mm. and reassure them and make them feel better. No, we have everything in. But you should trust and look look about look around you and in terms of what do I actually have inside me? Who am I? How do I move? Who I who I am? Who am I? And then once you're gonna start knowing a little bit more about yourself, about how you move, what's your default mode, yeah, what's actually for me. It's not for you, for him, or for my brother, even for my wife, even for my parents, because we're different. But you got to become a master of yourself, and it's going to be easier. I lost you. Yeah, I'm there now. Sorry. Um, no, no, I, th- I think you're right. So let's let's come back to that. You know, you're talking about master yourself. You talk about being the academy at Mets, obviously having left Clairefontaine. What was that process like? You know, what what was that like? Was there a, a different culture when you went to Mets? And yeah, you obviously yeah. mentioned that, you know, you left the academy at some point and you had influences that were basically saying to you, no, we ain't going to let you waste that chance. So what kept you going other than the fact that you were almost being denied opportunities outside of football, if that makes sense? What, what kept me going is when you go to Clairefontaine, you're supposed to do three years. When you get in, Every year they're cutting people out, right? They, they're cutting two players out. But ideally you do three years, three full years, and I've done only two because they cut me out. They got rid of me after the second. That's what kept me going as well because the pain that I felt when I, I got cut out, when they got rid of me, was unbearable. So that created within myself a, a, some sort of trauma. Mm. And I, honestly, I'm not going to lie, I'm being totally authentic. The pay, I was crying my eyes out. I, I was get take, getting taken away from my boys because I have built such a bond with them. They were my friends and my families. Football-wise, I mean, my whole world collapsed. 
So I had to leave Clairefontaine. And I said to myself, what kept me going was the feeling that I, I had. And I said to myself, Seb, you, you're not going to be able to afford to go through that again. So you're going to yeah. have to do everything in your power to never go through that feeling again. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know how I was going to end up because it, it literally broke my heart and I was in really pain. Therefore, that's why I compensated by you know trying to to do other things and I went off the rail because I was in pain. I was in really pain, but nobody could really see that. And I was expressing it by doing all sorts of things on the street. But that wasn't just, that was because I, I, I was trying to cope and I was grieving. So mm. that's what kept, kept me going. The transition. Yeah. I'm just thinking, uh, it, did it come as a surprise to you? Because I think one of the biggest, you know, I'm looking at the academy system in England in particular, and one of the biggest things that um, I'd say gets discussed is, Seb, this, we're, now in, we're now in, I don't know, August, start of the season, here's some goals for you to think about, right? Get to November, you're on track, Seb. Get to January, you're on track, Seb. Get to July, Seb, we're releasing you. So did it come as a shock? Was there was there an authentic piece building building up to it? Because I feel like there's far too many situations where players are being released from academies and from 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 processes like this, where it's almost like well, there was no indication that this was coming because you didn't give me the authentic feedback on the way to this point. Does that make sense? Yeah, that it does make sense. But back in the days, it it wasn't like that. I think we all were all aware that some of us were gonna go. But we didn't really know. We had some meetings, sometimes some warning meetings, but there was a bunch of us were on the line, a bunch of us. So I hoped, but at the time I was young and naive, so I couldn't even see it through. So for me, I was blinded. I said, no, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. I'm working. You don't really know if you're really working hard or enough because you're young and you're going through the process. And every every milestones, every time, for every individual is different. So it came as a shock, but my dad was part of it as well because my grades were down. And as I said, there was many of us were on the line. And because I had already signed for FC Mets and other players who were also on the line, didn't have a club yet. So there was, it was more, yeah, it made more sense to let me go. And my dad wasn't against that. Because he was, he wanted to take me out of this environment of, for him, I wasn't, I wasn't performing well at school and blah blah. So he came for me as an individual, as a kid, as a shock. But for the adults, it just, it was a common decision. So the transition for me from Paris to Metz was difficult because it was different. I, I was Paris is Paris, Metz is Northeast. It's a different vibe, and it took me. Yeah, a while to adapt because at the time I didn't want to defend. I didn't like defend, being a defender. I was a, a skillful player. So, and I remember my the, 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 my coaches, they were helping me out a lot because they were being patient, very patient. They knew that I had a big, a good contract and a big potential. But the work ethic, the grind wasn't there yet. I, I could easily fight on the pitch. I, could, I was aggressive, but I'm talking about the discipline on the long term, like really trying to 
every single day pressing the reset button and going again and again and again. I didn't have that yet. And then it came later on. So that, that was my transition. But honestly, I can't, I can't thank them enough because they saw in me what I couldn't see in myself. They knew that was good. He knew it was just a matter of time before he switched. And then, then he switched. And then I became another player and another man because I was out of Paris. I was going back. And yeah, that was a good thing because I was exposed to different culture, different mindset, which helped me and until today. I think it's really interesting because obviously, you know, we, we look at how players progress through their journeys. Obviously, so, it's so individualized, like, you know, you used, used that word already. But I'm thinking to myself as a coach, and this is the conversations I'm having with coaches all the time around. Your job is not to necessarily make sure that the players are going to become professional footballers because you can't guarantee that. But your job is in, in many respects to inspire them to continue the journey. Right. So I'm now thinking about it from that perspective. You know, you're in hindsight, you said, you know, they believed in you and they had that, you know, even though you weren't quite ready yet, they saw the potential in you. The, the, what are your thoughts on the idea that actually the players who are going to make it are going to make it anyway, regardless of the coaches? No, I don't. I, there's different type of players. There are players that are really talented and, you know, they're in advance. They're really a step one, two, two step ahead because of either physicality or talent wise. Yeah, that. But I wasn't one of them. My I was talented, but I think my grind and my my rage, my anger, my anger got me going. There's some players I don't think. I think you need a bit of both. You need good good man good coaches, but not only coaches that look that are looking at you as a player as a product. Okay, we we need to get him to the professional level. No, you need coaches to can carry on a certain education, give you values, give you, yeah, give you advice and be patient with you because they, they've seen, they're supposed to have seen that before. They're supposed to have more experience. So where are you trying to go? For some of them, they're coming back from it. So they know, they know better and they have the love for the game. So I don't think that regardless, regardless of the coaches, some players would have gone pro the term professional for some of them yes when you're super talented and you have a good work ethic you get because you know how to work and you've been raised properly yeah you're gonna go pro anyway because mm-hmm. you took your 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 fate you took you took your destiny into your own hand and you made it mm-hmm. happen there's some of them very early they're very mature but others they need that's when they need you know the surrounding the coaches to really push them when they don't really believe in themselves or to push them when even, I don't know, majority of the other teams don't really see they've been impatient. Yeah, there's some mm. coaching that play a big role into some players' career because maybe they saw in them what they, what they couldn't even get for themselves, so they need to push them. And you always need a hand at some point. There's nothing, no players, no, nobody in life who can do things on his own. That's a lie, that's a myth. We always need somebody's help. And you will get a help at some point. Even the clothes that I'm wearing now, somebody made it for me. Even the clue, the, the, the food that I'm eating, there's nothing that can be done on your own. And mm. the earliest people understand that. It's not begging. It's just like, it is what it is. Together, mm. go further. When people think, you know what, I can do it by myself, I can do it, but that's a lie. Mm. That's, 
for me, so, that's it. Yeah, no, so you know, let's talk about that because, you know, I want there's two things that I want to kind of touch on that. You know, you've used the word a couple of times throughout the conversation already, um, you know, referring to maybe rage and anger. What what was the anger about? Where, where did that come from? And then from a, you know, from a separate perspective, you've talked there about not being able to do it alone. Um, so what does good coaching look like to you? When, you know, when when did you feel like, you know what, this coach has made a difference to me? And what was that specifically that happened that to make you feel that way? My my rage, when I talk about rage, anger, it's an emotion. And I, I don't want people to be shocked. Any emotion is just, there's no good or bad emotion. It's what you make of them. An emotion, when you're angry, you're angry. That it could, from anger, can you can produce some good outcome and bad outcome. It's what you make of them from joy as well, from fear as well, from, you know, I, so what I'm trying to say from sadness too, my anger, because I was angry that people sometimes thought I couldn't do it. So I used that anger. I used that, that fear to feel, mm. to feel uh, the, 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 the feeling that I had when I got, they got rid of me at Clairefontaine. I used that. I used that and I was like, no, because some of my brothers, for example, they couldn't, they didn't even believe that I was going to turn pro. And they told me that. So it got me angry, but I used that anger to never, never give up to prove people wrong. So when I'm say, when I'm, I keep using the word anger or rage is because that, that same emotion made me who I became, who I am. Mm. But also, you gotta be careful that what once, what was once an asset doesn't become a liability. That's why you gotta know about yourself because my the same anger, the same rage, the same emotion, I can build up with one hand and tear it down with the other hand. So that's why you gotta really be aware about the way you are, when to use it, how to use it, and you get that with time. And I think the man, the coaches that I had. And I speak, I speak with them even now, until now. They saw that in me. They saw that and said, okay, cool. They've been patient. And they've been even not replacing my father figure, but I was away from my family. So even though I had my, my dad, my mom over the phone, they're not present physically. They're not present. So sometimes they were talking to me in a way. Was- What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Instead of football, how are you? How your brothers do? I mean, they were getting into the personal set. And that was good. For me, that's what, that was a very good man management. Mm. I wasn't even interested about, yeah, you know, why your game was about this. Every single player or human being, there's no bad player. When you go to talent, you don't, you don't become bad overnight. There's always something that's going on into your private life that's going to reflect on you on the pitch. When you have problem outside the pitch, you don't feel comfortable or you, what, for whatever reason, there's, the reason is outside the pitch. If, in order for you to be good on the pitch, you got to feel comfortable where you live in your own skin. So that's what the coaches realized. Sometimes I was staying up in Paris a little bit longer. So they didn't find me. They didn't put me that. They didn't give me a punishment because they knew I was homesick. I was homesick at some point. So I needed maybe an extra day. So that was cool. They came. I, I came back. They were talking about me. They were talking to me about anything. Why am I so angry? Why did I fight? Because I was fighting a lot sometimes. So, okay, why did you fight with that guy? Why? What's the respect for you? What's the disrespect? They tried to understand my mindset more than, yeah, Seb, you know what? Go up and down the pitch. No, you're going to be, yeah. But when they were doing that, when they were giving me feedback about football or anything, because they've gained my trust on the human level, Obviously, I was li- I was willing to listen to what they were saying. They said, "Listen, you got to be harder. You got to r- run long for longer time." Yeah, no problem, sir. I'm yeah. I'm your soldier. I'm yeah. your soldier because you get my trust. I, th- so I think it's really an interesting one because I think for me, it's a conversation I had with coaches before, and even some players. I say that as a coach, if you've got if your players trust you, right, you you can you can hold them accountable. You can say things to them that they're not meant to necessarily like. And they won't complain about it. They won't. They, they'll accept it because they know it's coming from a good place, right? They know that you're saying these things because you want them to be better. You want them to do better, and you can see that they can do better. So I think that that piece is really important. You know, just to kind of encapsulate what you said there is that they looked at the person first before the footballer. They said, "Well, if the person ain't right, then we can't help the footballer." Obviously, there's not, and I never understand when people put the football player before the person. Before even before I became Sebastian the football player, I'm Seba, Sebastian the man. So the man was always there before the baller. But people now they want to flip it and switch it. It's never going to work. A, hum, a, pro, a football player, regardless your character, you're a human being. You're an emotional person. You need interaction. You there's only eleven players that can be on the pitch. Why people are always mourning that they, they, they're having a go at the manager is because of the management, the, the way they're treating. I would rather a, a manager come and tell me straight in my face, why am I not playing? Whether I like it or not, there's the truth. And what people don't understand, players, they're like, no, I wouldn't say babies. It's like you, you're looking for a, so, some, sort of, um, some sort of comfort. You're looking when you when you're coming through academy, you go into the first team. You're always looking for the big brother figure. You always and in the manager, you're looking for some sort of authority 
and you need mm. boundaries. You need mm. they need that, and people don't see that. It's in, unconscious. You can ask every player. What's going to piss them off is when a manager is lying, or is when he's not telling the truth. We know that there's only 11 players on the pitch. Tell me. Now you don't play him because this, this, this is better than you at the moment. You're not doing that well. You don't have to, to like to drag it or something, but just have a, a sincere interaction, and that goes yeah. back to the human level. That's when mm. the trust is coming. Oh, I trust you. You know, mm. and you going to your coach because you know he's not your, he's not part of your confirmation club. He's, he's part of the correction. That's why I call confirmation club and correction club. There's some people there, they're your cheerleaders. Your coach is not be it's not there to be your cheerleader. He's here to coach you, to give you feedback. There's no bad feedback. Feedback mm. is there, there's no bad feedback. It's there to improve you. But if there's no trust, you're never gonna be able to see the feedback as a positive one. You're always gonna think that you know what, it's against me, he's gonna favor it. No, 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 no. But that goes back from the foundation. There's a tr- human trust on the human level. Mm. No, definitely. And I think I think you're spot on. I think that, that that authentic and sincerity around the conversations you have and again it's not it's, you don't have to like what I'm gonna say, but if you know I'm being truthful to you, you're just gonna take it in a much better way. You know, you don't have to like it, but uh, you, you you will definitely, in my experience, become more accepting of it. So let's 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 move that on then. Obviously you talk there about your situation at Mets and you know, you've now got an opportunity to move to the Premier League with Newcastle. How did that come about? And what what you know, what was that like for you? And you know, you moved to a couple of different clubs in England when you when you eventually got here. So tell us about that. Newcastle, Newcastle is New, without Newcastle, I wouldn't have made the career that I had in England. But how did it came about? I was playing for France under 21 at a Toulon tournament, and my agent one one night he, call, he gave me a call. He said, "Seb, I got the news for you." He said, "All right, speak up." He said, "Yeah, you know, I have my friend." He's a manager of Newcastle United, Kevin Keegan. Do you know him? I said, oh, of course I do know who is Kevin Keegan. And he said, yeah, he kind of likes you. He fancies you. And then comes the but. He said, but uh, he doesn't know if you would adapt to the English pace or whatever. And he started talking like that. And I said, okay, basically, and he would like to see you. I said, okay, basically, he want me to come on trial. But bear in mind, at the time, I'm playing for France under 21. So I feel myself. I'm thinking, you know what? How do? No, it's not possible that I'm going on trial. It's either they get me or not. But I was so confident and I was so willing to leave my club and to go and explore the world. I said to my agent, yeah, if he wants me to come on trial, even though it's, I don't think it should happen, I'll go. And that's how I went. I went to Newcastle on a trial, a week trial. A week trial first, and that, that was the first time for me to come in U, in the UK in my whole life. I had never been right. in the UK, and trust me, what a surprise when I come in August in Newcastle in a t-shirt and it's pour, pouring down the rain, pissing down the rain, and it's cold and it's windy. <laughs> I was <laughs> shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. And uh, so, long story short, I did my trial, and I was so confident, so aggressive, so. That yeah, I killed it until I play. Uh, I played the last day of the trial was the game against Doncaster. This is when I, st- I played my first game. I had number 46, and I didn't understand understand a word of English, but I think that I had a great game. And the, the fans they were singing, "Who's 46? Who's 46? Sign him up! Sign him up!" 
and I didn't realize. But then a couple of days later, I signed my contract. It's another story the way I signed my contract because it was also a big part of my, let's say, my rage and my anger because I didn't get what what I thought was respectable at the time for me. I was actually they were they were I was given a take it or leave it contract about three thousand pound a week, uh, a month or a week, yeah, a thousand pound a week, and and I was expecting to become rich. I'm not gonna lie. When I came from France, for me, England was the El Dorado. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, this is heaven. But then reality check. They gave me a take it or leave it contract, and then I didn't. I signed it. Because I called my dad, who was in Cameroon, and I got I went on a rant. I was angry. I said, ah, I'm not gonna sign. Bear in mind, I was young and crazy. Then I'm not gonna sign the contract. Who do they think I am? But they disrespected me. And my dad said something to me. He said, "Listen, all I'm hearing now is somebody crying. The son I raised and a baby is not crying. It's just because we don't. People don't give you what you expect that you're gonna quit. So." Remember, remind yourself where we're living in France, the neighborhood and stuff. If you want to come back, be my guest. But now you're wasting my time and he hanged up on me. So he knew which button to press. He said, you being, you being, you being a baby, you being you're crying, blah, blah, blah. So then I took the pen, I signed the contract. And I, did, I, I didn't even, uh, you know, do the picture with the shirt and everything. That triggered me, peace mode again. That's when... I went on a season, I was on a mission. That's how my love for the English football and their love for me kind of blend in because mm. I had everything what, which was required. You know, a lot of aggression, a lot of energy up and down. I was passionate and Newcastle, for me, the fans and the opportunity they gave me was just, no, I couldn't put that, I couldn't waste that. So mm. that's how I, came, I became the player of the season of Newcastle, the first season. And that's how everything kind of started because I had nothing. I couldn't, I was borrowing money from my friend. I was borrowing money from Abby Bay, his car. I couldn't buy a car. So I had, so I had to figure things out. I had to, I was hungry. I was do, hungry. Do you think in many ways that that, that helps you grow up? Just, just to clarify as well, how, you, you know, you said you're playing for under 21s there, so you're still fairly young. Did you think yeah. that situation made you made you grow up a little a little more and give you that look, you know, obviously coinciding with the conversation with your father, a bit more of a reality check, almost humbling yourself a little bit around the situation. Um, and then the second piece I was going to ask you about, what you know, you talk about going to a trial at a professional football club in the Premier League. What, what are they looking for in a trial? What does it, what does that look like? <laughs> it did. It definitely humbled me. Humbled me a lot. My dad was always big on, you know what, you know, you're nothing. Stay down, relax yourself. But when, when I had to go through what I had to go through, I was thinking, you know what, Seb, it's true. Show them. My dad was like, if you're the best at what you do, you're going to get paid. You're going to get your reward, but you're going to show it first. And not for only a month and something. So that in my head, I was thinking, yeah, okay, no problem. I was, I was 19. I was just 19 coming into the UK. I didn't know nothing. I was young, but it kind of made me grow up. So listen, Seb, I knew where I was coming from, but life is made of stages. My, my first part of upbringing was rough, but then you kind of get 
comfortable because you start to play football, but you need another reality check to bring you back to the basic. And that brought me back to the basic to what I do well. I grind. I'm talented, but I'm, I grind. I'm, a, I'm an overachiever. So that, that was the best thing that could have happened to me when they gave me the take it or leave it contract. That with that small amount a, a week, I had to go and get it. So that was good. And then on a trial, what they're looking for, they're looking, they're looking for the, pl- the players going on a trial. It's hard. That's why I say to all the younger players that I work with or I, I encounter, when you go on a trial, you're going to be better than the player that they already have. In order for a club to take you, to, to, to sign you, you're going to be much better. So it's mm. harder. It's, it's mm. harder because if you're not much better than even the player that they have at your level or even just underneath, younger than you, why would they t- why would they sign you? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I say it all the time that you know, for players, if you're going into a new club, you, you can't be as good as what they've got. You have to be better. You have to. What, it just doesn't make sense otherwise. Why would they take you when they've got really someone who's just as good as that? You get overwork people, and that's the mentality I went mm. from this day one. Honestly, I had no friends, and I was thinking, you know what? I gotta just bully everyone. Mm. I gotta I gotta show them what I'm about because I only got a week. I mm. ain't got a month or two months to just settle in and that and that's what they were looking for they saw the potential but they were asking themselves okay is he gonna be is he gonna be strong enough for the to adapt to the pace and to the because it's demanding the prem the prem is demanding it's really demanding it's high intensity and in france sometimes we kind of even physically i was young and i was really i was skinny I was skinny. I was really, I was strong naturally, but I was skinny. They're like, oh, okay, let's see. Let's see how he, he cope with the challenges. You know, when people come and just like come and try to bully you, try to come so hard on you. And that, that, that was, that's what the, they were looking for. Technical ability, I don't think they were, they were doubting it. I could see the game. I had a kind of awareness. I could see because they knew I was from Clairefontaine. My brain was different. My brain was a bit a step ahead and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they had to see what I had within myself. And when Kevin Keegan told me, listen, all, the, all I want from you is to give you 110% all the time. You might not have great games all the time. And you, you won't have good games all the time. But if you are willing to give you everything, they're going to love you and I'm going to love. I said, listen, mate, I got that. I, I, I got that. I'm from where mm. I'm from. I'm hungry and I'm angry. So I just had to channel my kind of anger or aggression. And on top of my technical abilities and my vision. Mm. And they were like, no, 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 we're signing you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good. So that's what they were looking for. And I think people sometimes when they go and try it, they don't have this age. They don't have this of a gear, they're just playing at 100%, which is what is required. When you go on trial, you got to be 120%. Yeah. You got to over deliver. There's no chance. A hundred percent. I think you're spot on in that. If you can't go in there and do minimum requirement, because no one wants minimum requirement. They've probably already got minimum requirement in the building. That's why they're looking elsewhere. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So it's so important to kind of come in and just, you know, give them a fresh look at what minimal, you know, what minimum requirement is and 
what it could look like. So I guess, you know, it's kind of build on that. You talked there about, you know, coming in, take it or leave it contract, Newcastle. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about Newcastle and how passionate they are as fans. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that probably played a massive part in in your motivations and even just in terms of you being able to just, get, you know, be accepted in in, in that that stage of your career as well. Tell us, you know, obviously, you know, you, know, you've, you, got, you went on to play for a few different clubs in the Premier League. Um Obviously, next was Spurs. How did that come about? Was it a take it or leave it situation as well? Did they make you on trial again? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it was a totally different ball game at the time because I had maybe one of my best seasons at Newcastle on a personal level. So when and I was kind, I was in demand. Put it this way, I was in demand. A lot of club were coming, asking, making offers, and <laughs> in total honesty. I just fell for Harry. Harry got me. Harry's a smooth talker who who got me. And I was you know, I was very in demand. So Overclub came around. So Spurs gave me a good contract. That wasn't a take it or leave it contract. That was a very good contract at the time. And I don't know. I fell for Harry. Harry, the way he was talking to me. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I want to see London. I'm from Paris. I want to see London. Honestly, I wanted to stay at Newcastle, to be fair, but it didn't, yeah, it didn't work out. So, yeah, I went to Spurs, and <laughs> that was good. That was a good time, but that was also a shock for me because coming from Newcastle, my small city where it's very passionate, now we're coming mm-hmm. to London. London is now. Nah, London is London. It's deep end. It's big city. It's massive city. Massive clubs and many clubs. Different mindset. It's not mm. like the um, friendly family environment that yeah. I was in Newcastle. Now there's sharks everywhere. Yeah. Now it's like me taking me back to Paris. But right. I was, in Paris, I was younger. Now I'm older, so I see things, and I'm used to be loved at Newcastle, where I can work. You know, I can walk from one one part of the city to the other, and mm. it's different. Mm. Now in, we're in London. I came, I signed my contract. There's some paparazzi following me on the car. And so it's, it's different. And it, it takes a while to, to adapt. But it was good. It was good, but I was still, I was young with my time. I, was, I mean, fairly young, but we achieved a lot with Spurs. Then I went to Norwich because I wanted to surprise people. Because at the time, I think I wasn't handling my emotion properly. And I told you, I keep talking about the emotions. It's my emotion who got me high but they also play against me at some point mm-hmm. because i wasn't patient enough I, I was going to play but i wanted to be sure that i was going to start which was a mistake then i went to norwich because nobody could that could see that coming and it was good it was a good move because i was still in the prem and i could i could be once again sure that i was going to play and i was i had something to prove when i was a spur at some point there was an, a competition but I, I had no guarantee towards that third year, four year, that I was going to play again. And I'm not going to lie. I got, I just, my head wasn't right. My head wasn't right. And I couldn't listen to people. Mm. It's true. There's always a time when you do carry yourself, you get carried away a little bit. 
emotionally because you always think that the people are against you no you know what you're right you think you're always right they don't get you they don't understand you know you think you're bigger and stronger than who you are because you don't self-assess properly mm-hmm. and that's the inability of self-assessment whether you're a football player a regular human being is what take us down that bring us down that that play against us and that was my case but i went to norwich and same again. I started from start from scratch and I achieved player this season. We stay and I was good. And same again when I had when I had a bit of um I don't know. I was falling asleep. Yeah. Sometimes I was falling asleep because I didn't get stimulated enough. I needed that. I needed to be pushed. I needed to be somebody to tell mm-hmm. me that you can't do that. When I didn't so- have that, it was difficult for me. So obviously during that period of time you know, you talked there about what I'm hearing you say is the need for challenge, right? Yeah. The challenge oh. needed to be that, you know, it, it wasn't, I'm hearing that you maybe felt a little bit too comfortable at Spurs. At some, also, at there wasn't any certainty as well around yeah. what was going to happen going forward. And it's almost like that, you know, you had to go and get that as well. I'm now thinking about the managers that you maybe have worked under. You talked there about your admiration of Harry. Chris Hutton. Yeah, Chris Hutton obviously at Norwich. What what would have, what would have changed for you? What what would it have taken at that time to maybe get through to you and kind of channel you and focus you at that point? Because, you know, you said that you moved to you moved to Norwich and you know you did really well and you maybe had a little bit of a dip there as well and obviously ended up on loan at um at Wolves as well for a brief period. I think at um Watford too. Uh, yeah. Well, Norwich. What, what was yeah, what was the thinking going into these different rounds? What were you looking for? Was it them? Was it more for for you, or was it more someone seeing the potential in you and kind of, if you like, in some ways recaptured that thought or that feeling that they had back at back in the day at Mets? If that makes sense. Yeah, in total honesty, a, a career is long. When I say a career is long, you're gonna have dips, and what makes the difference between the good players, the very good players, and the greats? Are uh, you know the time, the time between every setbacks. We think that the biggest player, you know what, they look like machine. They never down and everything. No, they are, but they bounce back quicker. Emotionally, they they've they've mastered their emotion. They've mastered their their brain in a way that you know what, nothing can take me down. I'm just gonna mm. go again and again. I wasn't emotionally good enough. In terms of handling my emotion, what would you ask me? What would I? What did I need at the time? I would have need what I do now with people. I would have need that. I would have need somebody. Not mm. my, not the clo- not my family because don't get it twisted. When you are listening, your brothers, sisters, or your siblings, or your close people, they're not legit in the game. They're not legit. You're in emotionally attached to them. You trust them. You know they got your best interest at heart. But there's something about they've not done what you're going through. They've not gone through that. They're, they're, they're your my mom, my dad, even my my missus. But she hasn't. There's some element of trust in terms of mastery. What Is that relatability piece? You know, just someone yeah. that shared a lived experience with you, right? That's the word I was looking for. You gotta you gotta relate to those people. So. I would have need somebody that I'm so I'm thinking like you know what he's done it he's lived it and everything he's telling me is happening 
for real. Mm. And he knows that there's things that when I'm looking at it, I'm talking to a player, I said, listen, I know that you, you just pulled out of the challenge here. And I see that. Nobody can see it because I've been there. You've pulled that. And I need to understand what went through your mind. I need to, and I'm, I'm even prior to you to tell me anything, I'm going to tell you what's going through your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I would have needed because at the time I was making, you know, I, I'm, um, I got a strong character so I can make yeah. my decision and stuff. But I would have needed somebody to listen and say, no disrespect, shut your mouth a little bit. Let me tell you. Let me tell mm-hmm. you. Something. Let me tell you what. Because when you're the big dog all the time, you need somebody to look up to. You need somebody. Yeah. No. And that thing, that's that's what was missing. So at some point when I was make, taking decision or when my emotion were taking me further than I wanted to go and, mm-hmm. t- and kept me there longer than I want to stay. Because that's what emotion do. Emotion yeah. takes Further than you want to go, and they keep you there longer than you want to stay. I couldn't master my. I didn't know my emotion. I didn't know where my anger was coming from, or why I was sad, or when I was angry or scared. Sometimes I was, I was showing up anger. Mm. I, I, no, the way I was showing up to other people, I I didn't have any clue that I was maybe scaring people. Yeah. Or people. I'd have no awareness. Perception of that, of course. And, I, and I, that's, the, that's the bit I was about to ask you. I think what I'm hearing here is that really what would have got you through that is is a heightened sense of self-awareness at the time. And additional to that, it's also accountability, right? Being held accountable for it. And I think, but, but you know, it maybe makes me think about a question and you talk there and I've gave me an insight of what, what your thoughts may be, but how important is it? You know, what are the thoughts of a professional football player in this respect that's maybe being guided or, or being supported by someone who hasn't played the game? How much of a part does that really play? Someone who hasn't played the game. Yeah, because obviously, you, you know, we talked there about the relatability piece. You know, it, automatically yeah. there's, there's that common ground where you can say, do you know what? Our journeys might have been very different, but there's things that you have been through that I've also been through. You share that lived experience, right? Even from different perceptions, but the objective piece of what's happened, you've both been through it to some extent of it. As someone who hasn't played the played the game at a professional level, do you do you look at that person differently? Yeah, I think you know, I'm, me, I'm very honest about the way football player thinks, football player mindset. We don't live in the reality, rightly or wrongly. We've been raised and brainwashed to live in a certain reality that's a fact so now when a football player a football player needs you know needs to relate to people you don't have to, you don't have to be a professional an next professional football player but you have to be an expert in a certain high achievement in something whether you're a banker you some you you can relate my coach when i went through one of the darkest periods of my life of my career sorry I've got a coach. The same way I coach people, that's why I coach people now in a personal development. But I had a coach. He wasn't a bowler, but he was he was high in, in the military. So I knew he knew what the grind was. I knew mm. that he knew what the high intensity thing, how he knew how to go and get things. And he was teaching me things. He was challenging me. He was held holding me accountable. And he was tapping into everything that I needed to be tapped in in order to get myself going. So listen. So are, you, are you suggesting that despite him not being a professional footballer or having that background, whatever he was doing, there was credibility within it? 
Yeah. And that, that was enough. That was enough to get your buy-in. Is that what you said? Yeah. Enough. For me, you're credible. Obviously, if you know the game, it's even better. Of course. But at the end of the day, don't get it. Don't get it twisted. You might, you could have been a football player, but on the human level, we don't connect. You can be a bowler, but if I don't, if, that, if I can't see myself within you, you can't get to me. You don't have this right. communication skill to get to people. It's irrelevant. So hmm. it's not only a matter of, okay, cool. I can relate to that guy because he played at the highest level. No, we don't get, we don't get on. Cool. But what do I need? Me, me as a person, I'm somebody, I need challenge. So somebody who can come and challenge me and hold me like, I, I love that. I need that. I, I'm not somebody that you need to put an arm around and say, you know what? You're the best. I'm, I'm not built like that. If you tell me, listen, Seb, you got a good. So that's, that's where the skill set comes up. A good man. A, some, when I coach people, I have different kind of players or even uh, managers in terms of um, in the corporate world. They are, they're not all the same. They have different behavioral style. You got to adapt. You got to know the difference. You got to know you. And you're gonna know others. So in order for me to tell you what did I need, I needed that person. That person came along. That's when things came back and I thought, you know what, Seb, you gotta know yourself. There's a reason why you're always angry, but if you don't look for it, you gotta find out the source. Therefore, you're gonna be in control and you're gonna take control of your own life. So mm. I advise people now, in any way, shape, or form, you need mentoring. You need people that you look up, look up to. You need a mentor. You need somebody that you know is not going to be there just to, to give you a cuddle. He's going to mm. give you correct feedback because you want to mm. grow. It all starts from you. What do you want? I said to the player, what do you want? I can give you anything, but what do you want? According to what do you want, you're going to find that person. Yes, if that person hasn't been an expert, an expert is going to be difficult. I said to my mom one day, my mom tell, gave me an advice about how to handle some of some, uh, my portfolio thing, my portfolio investment. But I said to mom, listen, mom, you never really bought a house in your, in your life. How can I take advice from somebody who's never done it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean I don't love you. I do love you. And uh, you're going to be helpful for me in other situations, but not mm -hmm. in order to advise me. I need mm -hmm. an expert for that. Someone of the experience, yeah. Experience. And, but that's where people, I think, get it twisted. You're mm. getting the, the, the kids or even the players, they're getting advice or counseling from people that are not expert in that. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, so just to give you some context, in, in England in particular, when you go through coaching qualification, usually when you finish it, there's like an action plan of some sort, right? And often they, they, you know, one of the things that gets put on the action plan is go away and uh, go and observe an experienced coach, right? So it's, it kind of ties into this perfectly because, well, if I'm not experienced, what do I? How do I know what good experience looks like? So you're, you know, what you said there was, you know, was really kind of fit into this in that. Well, I need to know what it is that I want first because if I know what I want, then I know where I can potentially look to see who's experienced and skilled and knowledgeable in that area. So, you, you know, coming back to what you said about having mentors, I think mentors are so so key and so vital for everyone, but it's understanding that just because someone's a mentor, they can't mentor you in everything. 
Oh, you just... may have so many different mentors for different aspects. I'm not sorry to cut you off. I've got four mentors. Yeah. I've got a personal development coach. I need to know. I've got a financial mentors. And I've I got so many different, a faithful, I mean, this is different um, categories. One man, I'm not expert to, I'm not going to mentor somebody financially. I'm going to put you into somebody which is expert for that. Mm. And that's how I think if we do apply, whether it's a player or a normal block in your life, you do apply that kind of mindset. Think about where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Think about where you are now. You, we're putting all things together and we don't assess. Sit yourself down. What, as you said, what do you really want? Where do you want to go? This is personal. Okay, then what kind of resources can I tap in? That person, that's what I said to people. I'm not a therapist. If I can, I can refer you to a therapist. I'm, in, I'm, to, I'm into therapy myself because my coach can't give me the the services of a therapist, that's not his field. A mm. therapist is specialized, he's an expert, he's, an exp- he's master his skill set. Mm. When I need to deal with my past, my trauma, I go and I follow my therapy. When I need to take action, to start to know who I am, how do I move, and you know, Seb, how do I come about, you know, the mirror check, you know, the perspective, the self-awareness, I have my coach. I'm coaching people, but I need my coach as well because I, I still mm. want to grow. And that's when I know, I realize, okay, you really want it. You just don't mm-hmm. know how to do it. This is when I'm going to come to place. And then yeah, well, I mean, it's a continuous cycle, isn't it? It's like, you know, you have the coach. You have the, you need to have someone that coaches the coach. How does the coach continue to get better yeah. at what they do, right? And then you need to have a coach for someone who coaches the coaches. And yeah. it's just a never-ending cycle. But it's, it's all based on that level of experience and more specifically what the need is for the individual around that time. So, you know, you talk there about having a personal development coach who's not skilled in, in a, being a therapist. But part of that mentor ship if you like is actually what seb i don't have the answer for that but i can find someone that does yeah and it's it's actually and i think that in itself lends itself to credibility right and i talk a lot with coaches so again just to give context if if it wasn't um if i didn't make it clear before i work as a coach and a coach developer within football and one of the conversations i always have with coaches in particular is that your players don't have to see you as the expert all the time but they have to see some authenticity, right? So they can understand that, yeah, you you know, you are the coach. You have got some knowledge that can support them. But you're also open and honest enough to say, actually, do you know what? I don't have the answer to that. Let's unpack it together. And, and you know, very much, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this. And it, I find that from my experience as a coach, I've had a lot more positive outcomes when the players feel like I'm on the journey with them rather than leading them on, them on a journey. This is This is the definition for me. Of leadership leadership you don't have i mean you leading people it's like you're taking care of their well-being you got to be with them when i you do coach we do we both coach on a different aspect right i don't coach on the football side but you have to be hand to it like you got to help hold hand you got to be on a journey together otherwise there's a gap there's a distance which has been created and there's mm. In order for, for you to get the best out of the player and to give him not only on the football pitch, but as a human being, you need to be on a journey with him. You can't just say, you know what, that's on you. Then I jump in and I jump out. You got to be fully committed and a player or any person feels it. 
there's something you can't hide. So yes, I, to I totally agree with you. When you're fully committed and you're transparent, you're authentic. You know what? I don't have the answer. I don't know everything. I can't claim to know everything, but we're going to figure that out together. Mm. You don't have that. We're going to figure that out. We're going to find a person who's going to help you. And being a good leader is not having all the answers. You're not born. You, you're developing yourself at, into the leadership. And there's different type of leader. And I think saying to somebody, you know what? I don't know. But listen, we're not going to stop. At, I don't know. It's not an excuse. We're going to find the answer. Find more, spend more time looking for the solution rather than, you know, dwelling on the problem. That's what I don't like. Yeah, but this is a problem. Stop looking at the problem all the time. Let's spend mm. much energy looking for a solution. That's why I'm a, I find so I'm a solution maker. I solve problem. I said, you come for me to with a problem, we're gonna solve it. I don't know how long it's gonna take, but trust me, that's what I'm good at. We're gonna solve problem and then the player is going to trust you with everything. Oh, mm. I'm going to go to him. No, no, no. I know he's got my best interest at heart without mm. a shadow of a doubt. And then you're good. And then you're going to be able to transform people without even realizing because you just do what's natural for you, looking out for people. Yeah. I think it's so important because, you know, really my mind takes me to the fact that well you just got to be authentic right you, you, you've got to know yourself you've got to you know you talked there about earlier earlier you know having the confidence in yourself and knowing what you can do but actually knowing what you can do also requires you to know what you can't do right you need to know you need to know who you are like i say it to coaches all the time you know and again you know i work as a coach developer coach mentor and when people come to me well, oh you know yes i need help with xyz it could be i don't know how i design my sessions or some of the technical information within sessions no problem i can help you with that and then they come to me and say oh you know i'm i'm struggling to manage my time better well listen i'm struggling too so when you find the answer tell me what it is because i don't yeah. have the answer to that one but i think it's again knowing what you are good at what you're not good at and not and not um getting lost in your feelings about it you know really facing it facing it for what it is to accepting it for what it is and saying well you know this is a this is a fundamental part of where i'm at right now as an individual these are the things i'm good at and i think that one of the other pieces that came out from what you said earlier was that about looking left and right you know my, my wife has a saying that her grandma says all the time she goes don't look left don't look right stay in your lane right <laughs> and it's like you, you can't put it any any better because it's like as soon as you start looking left and right guess what you're not focusing on your lane and that's when you end up getting lost or get left behind because you're trying to like, you know spend too much time on other people and, and, and what they're doing but like you said right at the top of the conversation you are Seb you are you like this person is this person that's going to have their own journey they're going to have their own why they're going to have their own thing their own formula as you put it so you know I, I think there's so there's so much in there in terms of what people can kind of look at as as ways to kind of overcome some of the challenge that they've got by starting with themselves yep if i can give you a little bit of um when you talk to your players for example and you say to them okay as you may rightly say you got to know yourself self-assessment you got to know what you're good at and what you're not good at i i don't want i don't like when people say you know what that's my strength and my weaknesses for me there's no such a thing as weaknesses i would rather people to say this is my strength and this is my non-talent. When it, we, the word weaknesses, sometimes the way we're looking at it is very, it's too negative and we kind of, yeah. ah, I'm, that's my weaknesses. I'm not going to, no, no, no. You have talent. You're so good at something and the other yeah. thing, 
your less talent is your non-talent. It's still something you can use. A non-talent, mm. you can still use it. My right foot wasn't my strongest foot, but I could still, still do a lot of things. If I was looking at my right foot as a weakness, I would never take any long ball on my right foot. No, no, no. You know what? My weakness, let me not like get myself exposed. No, no, no. Let me use it accordingly. I, I, th- I think there's something really key there, right? Because, I mean, I personally don't like the use of the word weakness either, right? I, I, I tend to use areas for development. Because areas yeah. for development can be can be both positive or negative. Because areas for development, even, even my strengths, well... If we look at take the word weaknesses and what's contextual, right? It's only going to be you no. Know, if I'm, you know, I, I, I'm talking about my my ability to take a free kick. Well, if I'm sitting next to Ronaldinho, Messi, and Beckham, well, it's going to be a weakness of mine. <laughs> yeah. It's contextual, right? Whereas if I go in and I'm playing with my two or three year old son, well, I'm not the I'm not the expert. <laughs> so I think the weakness piece needs to be kind of looked at in, from that perspective as well in terms of right. Have you contextualized it well enough? I think the area for development, and as you put it, there, non-talent. I'm now thinking out loud as you're talking. I'm thinking, well, could it just could everything just be a skill? These are my top skills. These are the skills I need, these are the skills that I can do well enough, and these are the skills I need to work on. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of the way we verbalize things. When I and. You called it in a certain way, but when you hit your brain, as long as it doesn't re- reduce your ca- your capacity, what you want to do, I'm fine. Yeah. That's what, and it's a matter of verbal. When I say, somebody tell me, I can't do that. Seb. I said, no, change the way you will. Do you, you talk, change your words. You cannot tell me you can't, you don't want, or you can't, you don't want to do now. You don't have the answer now, but there's nothing that you cannot do. There's a lot of things that you can learn and you can get better at. It's a matter of wo- wording. And to just to go back to <laughs> the left and right, you know, my, my kids, they're athletes. They're running 100 meters, 200 meters. And it's simple. If you're looking the person who's on the right, you're going to step on their lane and you're going to get disqualified. You're never going to reach your goal. You're never going to mm-hmm. reach the end of the race. Because mm-hmm. of what? Because you... You're caring about who's on your left, what the person on your left is doing. So you, your focus is on is not on your journey no more, on your race. And you get disqualified. Are you going to lose? That that That's the thing. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. And that's exactly what you said. And your grandma said, look ahead. And I said to people, just look ahead. Think, think about mm-hmm. you. Even in order for you to, to, to um, take care of other people, you're going to take care of yourself first. If you're not mm. even healthy, healthy, how are you going to take care of other people? Because people say, mm. you know, I'm here for other people. I think I'm born for, for that. Okay, cool. Uh, it's debatable. But if you're not the best version of yourself, how are you going to be, how are you going to yeah. add value on other people's life? I think it's spot on. I think I talk, I talk about all the time. You know, I think we can get easily lost in the world, right? In terms of there's always something going on. It's always fast pace, and you know we forget the self care piece sometimes. Sometimes we just need to take a break, focus on ourselves. Because like you said, and, I, and I'm a firm believer, and I agree with you fully. If I'm not good, well, how am I going to be good for you? Yeah, that's. <laughs> you know what I mean, it can't happen. It can't happen. It can't happen. But um, Seb, you no, know, it's been a fascinating conversation. Insights into what you know, what you're doing with your career now um having as you put it 
been freshly retired a couple of years ago. Um, what can we expect from Sebastian Bassong in the future? Oh, what can you expect? Great things. <laughs> I love that. Ah, great. Oh, listen, I don't limit myself. And that's why I do what I do. Because for me, I want to show people that you you can only become what you want to become. There's no one who can stop you. The only person who can stop you, the only reason you know where you want to be is because of you. No, it's not. It's nobody else's fault. And, and I mean that. So what can you expect from me? You can expect from me to give, to be remembered for somebody who impact people because I want to impact people. I just want people to to break their, their, their chain and start living and stop surviving. Mm. Our people survive too much, survive, and I want you to start living. So that's what you can expect from me. I'm going to give my all, my 110%. I'm, I'm going to speak around the world because I'm going to speak, keynote speaking around the world, and I'm going to coach whoever wants to become the best version of himself and get to the next level. For that, the same way I wanted to be the best at football, I'm going to be even better. And I, and I truly mean it without, yeah, with in true, total honesty, I've been good at football. Honestly, I was good. I had a great career. But what's coming ahead of me, it's going to be even better because now I've got more Amazing. experience. i got the blueprint and I know it works. So there's nothing that can stop me. So when people say, oh, you're retired, I said, I don't like this world. I'm just transferring my skill set into a better world. And trust me, it's going to make a lot of noise because I'm going to kill it. And whether you know it now, you don't know, but you're going to find out. You're going to soon find out because that's my mentality. I only got one life and I don't want to wake up at 70, say, oh, you know what? If only I knew. No, 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 no. That's not going to be my fate. I'm mm-hmm. going to live and take my, and that's why my, you know, if you see my, my mantra is take what's yours, take what's yours. That's my mantra. That's my brand. That, that's, yes, that's my mentality. The mantra, everything about my thing, myself is take what's yours. But I think things are there for us to be taken. We, you just need to go and get them. So that's mm-hmm. why it's my, it's my mantra. Yeah. The power and the happiness, we don't take it, we snatch it. Take what is yours. Amazing. Well, there you have it, guys. Take what's yours with Sebastian Besson. Seb, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really, really appreciate your time. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, man. Yes, uh, I love, you know what? As you can, as you can, you can see, I can talk and I love to talk about, uh, you know, yeah, personal development. How can we achieve, achieve more? What is required? I love that. And that's why I'm passionate about what I do more than playing football, I reckon. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I think it's great that you've been able to use your, you know, your career as a footballer to, you know, almost give yourself a platform into branching out into this and some of the lived experiences. And um, I'd love to explore having you back on soon. Don't worry, there won't be a trial. There won't be a take it or leave it. (laughs) (laughs) I I react really well to those things. So bring it on. It's fine. Seb, thank you very much, man. Massive appreciation for it. No problem, bro. How'd you find Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Network. 
We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.